Before I get into my message today, I want to um, just give you a couple a heads up on a couple things that are going on. One of them isn't real exciting. Um, you guys know we're building a building, right, back there? And uh, we hit a little snag uh, this week, uh, actually last week, and uh, where uh, we had a set of approved plans by the city, um, but now they're kind of going back on it a little bit and saying that uh, they accidentally left something out that we need to do to the building. And, uh, you know, after approving it, so that was a real bummer, you know, and, and they apologized, but I'm sorry, cost us $50,000, um, and so it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit us financially, and uh, it's also going to delay us a couple of weeks. And so that was a real drag to hear that, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, I remember when I, when I first heard the news, you know, I was calling in, I was in Michigan, and I called in and heard everything, we're just getting on a plane, and I... I told my wife, you know, everything that's going on, I'm going, I can't believe it, you know, because Easter was the day, you know, I was picturing, gosh, you know, wouldn't that be awesome, our first Sunday, you know, Easter Sunday, and just pack out the new sanctuary, and I was just so bummed, and as I'm groveling, you know, my, my wife looks at me, and she goes, she goes, think about something, though, Francis, she goes, if we had Easter service in the new building, what would everyone be focused on on Easter? I said, the new building, and she goes, you know what? You really think God wants us focused on a building when we're supposed to be celebrating the resurrection? And uh, I hate it when she's right, but um, <laughs> it did. It gave me a different perspective of, you know what, it's true. I mean, you don't want to be so focused. And that's what I would do. I mean, I'd be in there checking out sounds and, you know, looking at everything else, which we'll still do on, whenever we get in there. But uh, And it's, it's probably just a couple-week delay, but at the same time, um, it's, it, it did a couple things for me. One, you recognize the sovereignty of God, and it's like, okay... <laughs> God, I understand. Okay, this is your plan. And so what we are going to do on Easter Sunday is we're going to go back to Royal High School. But we're going to have two services there so that uh, it won't be so crowded. Sorry about Christmas Eve. But uh, we're going to do two services. So that will give us the capacity to bring about 5,000 people um, on Easter, which is, which is just awesome. And I believe, you know, I'm just praying, God, that we could do that, you know, and do a mass mailer and send it to everyone in the city and just say, man... Go to Royal High School for uh, for Easter service and uh, just pack it out. And what an impact we can have on that day. And I'm just excited because just like on Christmas Eve, you know, even though all the people were there, our focus was on worshiping God. Same thing. Easter is going to be the same thing. We're just going to worship God there, and just the worship itself will have an impact on the people that come. We don't do a show on Easter and Christmas like, like a lot of places may do. I mean, we just feel like we need to worship God on those days and worship Him for what He's done, and that will have an impact on the community. And that's just our philosophy of ministry here. And uh, so that's exciting. The other thing, though, that this whole incident reminded me of is, okay, when we were trying to get the permit and when we were trying to break ground, man, I was praying a lot, and I think a lot of us were. But then once things started going and it seemed like, okay, we're on our way, I kind of backed off in my prayer over the building. And, uh, and probably some of you did too, if you're honest about it. And, and really the truth is, is, isn't that what we do in life? Um, when things are kind of desperate or we're in a difficult situation, we'll pray and we'll beg God. But then once things start looking up again, we'll back off and go, okay, I can take it from here. And the truth is, is we can never take it from here. At every moment, every second, our lives are in the grasp of God. And we need to depend on Him, not just when things are going so bad, but when things are good, to be reminded, you know what, I still need God. And I need to pray to Him as fervently as I do when things are horrible. And so, if you guys would just join me in a word of prayer right now. 
Father, I, uh, I thank you for this church, God, and it's just so exciting every week just to see so many uh, friends and just uh, faces and just everyone here to worship you and honor you. And God, that's our desire for this new building, Lord, that it, it wouldn't be any different other than just more of us worshiping you and honoring you. And God, I thank you for what you've done there. And God, now we just come before you again and you bring us to our knees over and over in life, just saying, God, you are in control. Please, God, would you finish this building? Would you bring it to its completion? And God, I pray for Easter service, God. So much more important than a building are those hundreds of lives and maybe even thousands of lives that we'll be visiting for the very first time on Easter Sunday, God, that they would get a glimpse of who you are as we all have and have learned to love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you guys ever get uh, sick when you watch the news? You ever just get tired of watching the news every day and everything that goes on? You ever just uh, open the newspaper and just go, gosh, what is this world coming to? You know, and I, I opened up the, the newspaper yesterday and uh, just started looking through the front page, you know, just saying, well, what's going on in the world? You know, on the front page, it's like, okay, the first thing, U.S. British planes bomb Iraq. Okay, all right, great. And then... Uh, Oxnard man arrested in slaying of baby boy. Uh, also on front page, uh, a man kidnaps his ex-girlfriend and forces her to marry him by threatening her children with an ice pick. Um, and you just go, gosh, what's, what's this world all about? And it, it seems like every page you turn to, you got uh, two bodies found from air collision. Studies raise new HIV AIDS fears. Police kill enraged sailor. Kin protest release of CSU Jenner who killed seven um, San Francisco city workers to get coverage for sex change operations. <laughs> Believe that? I mean, l- listen to this. I- I'll read a little bit. Public public employees who want to change gender will have surgery paid for. It will extend up to fifty thousand dollars in benefits to city workers who want to switch their gender. They've got a picture of a person. Um, I can't tell if she's a girl trying to be a guy or a guy being a girl. is like halfway in the process. And then, uh, they never totally look right. And then uh, you got uh, the Oklahoma City bomber set to die by lethal injection, man arrested in death of baby. Here, here's one. Um, Brooklyn Museum of Art. There's a picture here. Views Renee Cox's Yo Mama's Last Supper which depicts Cox nude as Christ. Um, It's a picture of this woman who poses nude, you know, standing before the Lord's Supper and the 12 other apostles, standing there naked. And uh, and it's quoting someone who's walking by looking at the picture, and she says, uh, The work is beautiful, said Tammy Hindle, who viewed the exhibit. She's celebrating the part of God that is woman. And it's just like... You know, you, you just you just read, you know, it's opium, this, seven, die, you know, suicide. It's just throughout, and you just go, God, what's going on? And, and it just makes you sick reading through the paper every day of what is this world coming to? And then we as Christians get asked the question all the time, if there is a God, how does this happen? If there is a God, then explain all of the evil in the world. Then how come people can just openly mock your God like that and nothing happens to them? There is a God. Why is there so many victims, so much pain, so much disease going on if there is a God? 
And we as Christians get asked that a lot. And uh, you got to understand something about God and something God has said in his word. Um, right now, the world we live in, the Bible says okay, that God in his sovereignty has allowed Satan, the devil, to have some power or authority here on this earth. That may be new to you because a lot of people just kind of glance over those verses that talk about that. But the Bible says, in fact, when it talks about Satan, like in um, Ephesians Ephesians 2.2, it calls him the prince or the ruler of the kingdom of the air. It talks about Satan being the ruler of the kingdom of the air. In in 2 Corinthians 4.4, God calls him the God of this age. The God of this world, God's small g. And referring to Satan, he calls him the God of this world or the God of this age. Okay, understand this, okay? And and, and this may be weird to you, but somehow, and, and it doesn't mean that God's not on his throne. But in his sovereignty, he has allowed Satan to have some authority in this world. And that's why we see this. Now... People go, well, why? Why would he allow Satan to have some sort of reign or some sort of rule on this earth? Why doesn't he just take over now? And the answer to that is this is just the way God has chosen to glorify himself. And I will say this. If you study scripture, you'll see. Remember what Doug talked about last week? Which he did a great job, didn't he? Outside of the picture he did of me. But other than that, um, he did a great job talking about how God has to be the hero of every story. I mean, that's what Scripture is about, to lift him up. But if you read Scripture and you study it long enough, you'll notice that God tends to put himself in situations to exhibit or show off his glory. For example, remember when the Israelites are leaving Egypt? What does he do? He has them backed up against the Red Sea. You know, and now Pharaoh's armies are coming. Why did he put them in this ridiculously impossible situation? He puts them in this place where it seems hopeless. It seems like we're going to die. They're coming. Here's the Red Sea. We have nowhere to go. Why would he put them in that situation? So he could split the Red Sea. And everyone go, wow, what did he do? He split the Red Sea. Something that's never been done so that people could walk across on dry land. And then when Pharaoh's (laughs) armies came, they all drowned because all the water came back and enveloped them. And you see in Scripture, God uses people like Samson, like Doug was talking about last week. Why? Just to show off his power, to show what he can do. And somehow in the big scheme of things, God is the hero of this whole book because after all of this, you know, we live in a world right now where people are mocking God. People are doing the exact things that he hates. You know, you're seeing people dying of disease and pain and and people killing one another and just the violence and everything else. And, and you, you feel a feeling of hopelessness. Like, God, how is anyone ever going to salvage this earth? How is this earth ever going to be a place that just totally honors and glorifies God? And we're at that brink of hopelessness going, God, what do we do? Look at this place. And you guys, that feeling of hopelessness is the exact picture that is taking place in Revelation chapter 5. You get a scene in heaven where everyone else is is really feeling what we feel right now, just kind of going, look at this world. Look at all the corruption. Look at all the sin. Look at all the pain, all the disease. When, God, are you going to reclaim this earth? When is Satan no longer going to be the God of this age? When is he no longer going to be the prince or the ruler of the prince of the air? When is that going to take place? And that is the scene in in, uh, Revelation chapter 5 that we look at today. 
And, and I, I really want you to pay attention and try to get the picture and the imagery here because I believe this, this may be the most dramatic scene in all of Scripture because, you guys, Revelation 5 is the turning point of all of human history. Revelation 5, you have the world just going to pot and, and everyone going, God, when are you going to turn this around? And Revelation 5 is the moment when God says... This is it. This is the time. Everything's going to change. I reclaim the world for myself. I reclaim this earth for myself. And the rest of the book of Revelation is about how he does that. And so, so don't miss what we're, what we're studying today. Revelation 5, verse 1. Remember what we studied about in chapter 4? How God was sitting on the throne. Remember the imagery of that? God sitting on the throne, the lightning, the thunder, the four living beings, the 24 elders all worshiping him. And and, and John gets to see God on his throne. Well, then in chapter 5, verse 1, as he continues the vision, he says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. He's looking at the God on the throne, and he noticed on his right hand he's got a scroll. This scroll is so important. See, this scroll that God has in his hand is like a title deed to the earth. Okay? It's proving his ownership to the earth. And this, 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 this scroll somehow represents how God is going to reclaim the earth. But he's holding it in his hand, and it is sealed in, with seven seals. Now, a seal was just a piece of wax... Um, that had been hardened, but when it was soft, what, what a person would do would stick his uh, insignia ring inside that wax seal. And so that meant he was the only one that had the authority to break that seal. Now, in their, uh, in their like, deeds and in their wills, you know, an important legal document, they would actually have seven seals that would keep you from opening it. Sometimes they'd put it in a jar and they would put the lid on the jar and then seal the jar. But uh, either way, there, there's seven seals because they would have to have seven witnesses who all had their own personal ring that would say, see, look, mine fits this, mine fits that. Okay, you seven are here. You can open up the scroll. Okay, this thing is sealed up with seven seals, and no one can open it. Um, and, and it says that it has writing on both sides. Now, this, this is important, too. Like, like, let's suppose this is a contract, and, I, and I, I roll it all up. And then I seal it seven times. Okay, how will you know what's inside here? You really can't unless you break the seals. And so what they began to do during uh, Emperor Nero's time was they began to uh, write on the outside a brief description of what was in the inside. So you could look at the scroll and at least know what it is. And so these people, while, while he's holding the scroll and it's sealed and you can't see what's inside, on the outside, I believe it's just the description. He says it's written on both sides. On the outside is a description of what is inside. And so I believe all these people know exactly what it is. This represents God reclaiming the earth. But they're waiting for someone to open it and for him to actually reclaim and take the earth back. And so look at verse 2. He says, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept. Because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Okay. This is all new stuff to us, but back then they totally understood what they're talking about. No one had the authority to break the scroll. No one could, could match the seal. No one was worthy in heaven, earth, under the earth. No one can open it up. 
And so John says, John says he began to weep and weep. The term actually literally means I wept loudly. Just like this wailing, this ongoing wailing. You guys, why was John weeping so hard there? Why would John weep and weep because no one can open the scroll? Was it because his curiosity was so bad and he really wanted to look inside? Oh, man, I don't get to see it. I'll bawl my eyes out. No. No, it's because John knew what was in the scroll. And he knew that the breaking of that scroll meant the end times. It meant the God reclaiming the earth. And he's weeping because no one can open it. And, and it's the same picture, like I'm saying, that we feel right now. Where it's like, God, you know, the scroll's right there. Someone open it up. Someone just take the earth back. God, would you just reclaim this earth for yourself? And that's why John is weeping. Because he's saddened by everything that's going on. He's saddened by the persecution of the church. And everything that he's seeing, he's going, God, when? And it's this feeling of hopelessness as he just sees, and you and I see the world get worse and worse. I mean, haven't you just in your lifetime, don't you just feel like people are getting more and more arrogant toward God? And, and, and it's like the blasphemy and the things that are said toward God I mean, are just getting more and more evil and disgusting. I mean, you just see it on people's T-shirts. I mean, just just bumper stickers or whatever. Just an outright mocking of God. And, it, and it's almost like you feel like this hopelessness for this earth, and you almost begin to question, um, you know, is this really going to happen? It's starting to feel hopeless. It's starting to look hopeless. And John here is weeping hysterically over this fact. But then you get to verse 5. It says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the middle of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Okay, so as John's weeping, then he hears uh, the voice of one of the elders. He says, don't weep. You'll see the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of Judah was a term that was given, uh, talking about the Messiah that was going to come. Um, you read about it in, in Genesis 49. Um, and then he, he calls him the root of David because he came out of the lineage of David. Um, and, uh, and you read about that in Isaiah 11, um, really where it says the root of Jesse, who was David's father. He says, this, you know, so everyone's weeping because no one can open the scroll. And then suddenly one of the elders says, no, here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. He's worthy. He is the only one that can take that scroll and, and, and open it up. And he's coming and John looks and he says he sees the lamb. Uh, he sees his lamb. And, and that's what Jesus has pictured it as so much in scripture is as a lamb. We get that because he's the Passover lamb. We get that because in, in Isaiah 53, it says he's like a lamb who was led to the slaughter. Um, and so you get this picture of Jesus as this lamb. And it says that he's coming, but not just a weak lamb. It says it's a lamb with seven horns. The horn of a, a ram or a lamb represents his power. And this, this lamb has perfect power, so they give him the number seven. He has seven horns. He has seven eyes, perfect vision or knowledge. And it also says those seven eyes represent the seven spirits of the Holy Spirit of God, um, which we've talked about in the last few weeks. And he says, okay, here he comes. And now catch the drama of this. 
Okay? John's weeping. Everything looks like, oh, man, how is this world ever going to, you know, glorify God? How are we going to have an earth? You know, we pray. Don't we pray all the time the Lord's Prayer where it says, you know, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And it's like, God, when are you going to have things here on the earth be like in heaven where everything's orderly and everyone loves each other and there's no more sin, no more pain, no more sickness? When is it going to happen? You know, when is the seal going to be broken? And it says, look, here he comes. Here comes Jesus in perfect power. And then catch the drama in verse 7. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Okay. Are you getting this? I mean, picture this. Try to imagine this in your head. These heavenly beings all around the throne. This weeping that's going on because it's like, when, God, is someone going to break the seal? And finally, Jesus comes. He walks up to the throne, or however he gets over the throne. He approaches the throne. He grabs the scroll, takes it from the right hand of God, and the moment he takes that scroll, everyone just falls down. Just picture that. Everyone's just like... And I can just picture everyone just with their heads to the ground thinking, this is it. This is it. This is the moment that all of creation has been yearning for. God now is going to reclaim the earth. And as he opens, you know, that's what the breaking of the seals is in the next chapter. As he starts to open it, man, all the events begin to take place. And everyone sees this is what's going to happen in the end times. But don't miss this moment in history. When Jesus takes that scroll, that is an important moment. Because that is when Christ reclaims the earth, opens up the title deed. This is my earth. I'm taking over. I'm coming to set up my kingdom on the earth. And everyone just bows down, and there's just this hush, this silence in heaven. And then it says, uh, Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Um, so, so these musical instruments, and they're holding these bowls of incense. And it says that these inc- this incense was somehow the prayers of us, the people on the earth. Somehow it represents our prayers. You know, that's, And that's an imagery that's used in Scripture um, For example, in Psalm 141, verse 2, the psalmist says, May my prayer be set before you like incense. He goes, May my prayers be like the sweet aroma of incense to you, God. You know, that when we pray to God, it would be just so pleasing to God and to his senses to hear our prayers. And here he actually has the picture of of the saints' prayers as incense bowls to God. And then look what they do in verse 9. It says they begin to sing. It says, they, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Okay, so they begin to sing. You know, we, we do a lot of singing here at the church and a lot of that is because that's what they do in heaven. That's what we're going to be doing for all of eternity is worshiping God through song. And, uh, and here they're singing to Jesus. You know, so if you're ever in a church that doesn't allow you to sing to Jesus and, and they don't lift up the worship to Jesus, man, that is so wrong. Get out of there. Um, you know, I mean, because we, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're going to be doing for all eternity is worshiping Jesus. Don't ever go to a church that doesn't worship Jesus. And, uh, 
And, and not only that, but he says, uh, he says, you're worthy. You're worthy to take the scroll. Be why? He goes, because you purchased men from every nation, every tribe, language, nation. And that's another thing to be aware of. Understand what, what Jesus says or, or what they're saying about Jesus here. That he purchased men from every tribe, language, and nation. He understands something. God loves this world. And he sent his son to die for the world and every Every, uh, from every race. Don't ever be a part of a church that has any prejudice in it uh, toward a different race because that, that is just not of God. Um, Jesus Christ died for all of us. And to say that certain, certain nations or certain people groups are cursed by God is so wrong. God died for all of them. I, I mean, I think of the Mormon church who up until the 70s didn't allow blacks into the priesthood. You know, and they still say, you know, Indians are cursed by God. And it's like... Man, that is so blasphemous. That is so wrong because God loves the blacks like he loves the whites and maybe loves Chinese more. But uh, he, uh, there's, there's not like these, these races where you go, you know what, he loves this and that. It's, it's, and some say, well, well, but in the Old Testament, didn't he just love the Jewish people? No, you've got to understand something. God was using the Jewish people to reach the whole world. And, you know, there was a special blessing upon the Jewish people. But why? He said he wanted that through Israel, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Who was God trying to reach? All the nations of the world. But he was doing it through the nation of Israel. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture where he's using them and blessing them so much the whole world would look at Israel and go, okay, whoever Israel was worshiping back then, that, that's the real God. Because no other nation could stand against him. That's a true God. And he wanted to show himself through that nation. But he says from the very start that they would be a blessing to all the nations, all the families of the world. And you guys, so understand, God is a God that was purchasing all of us. Jesus died on the cross for the world. And, uh, and, and a lot of that, you know, I know you think is just common sense. But you'll go into churches and uh, they don't believe that. And that, that is so sad. Then in verse 11, this is where it gets intense. You know, I'm sorry, let's go back to verse 10. I, I have to say something real quick about that too. In verse 10, when he says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. You know what he's talking about there? He's talking about all of us. He's made us to be a kingdom to reign with him. Okay, that's why Jesus Christ died. When he comes to the earth, he's going to reign over the earth, and we're going to reign with him. But it says he's made us to be a kingdom, and he's made us to be priests. He's made us all to be priests? Yes. I mean, you see that throughout Scripture, that what Jesus did on the cross, you know, was he opened it up for everyone. So that now we have direct access to God because of what Jesus did. See, in the Old Testament, you didn't have that. You didn't have that intimacy with God. What you did was the high priest would go in the Holy of Holies once a year, and he would kind of intervene for you. You know, he would speak to God on your behalf. But in the New Testament, after Jesus died, it says that now there's only one mediator between God and man, and that is Jesus Christ. There's only one mediator. He says now we are a, we're, the, we're the priesthood, that all of us now have direct access to God. And that's why Jesus in John either 14 or 16, he says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive. He goes, up until now, he says, you haven't asked for things directly in my name, but now you can ask. You can come directly to the Father through me. And that's why if you, if you have some sin in your life, 
You don't need to call me on the phone and say, Francis, can you tell God this for me? I'll confess it to you and you tell God. No. No, you tell God. It, it is you. If you want to confess to me, you know, for accountability or whatever, great. But you have direct access to God. That's the whole reason why Jesus Christ came, so we didn't need the priest anymore. I am not your priest. Just like I don't need to come to you if I talk to God. He says, wow, we can go directly to Jesus Christ. You know, directly to the Father through the Son. And that's why Jesus Christ died, so we could have that intimacy with God. And then, here's where it gets intense. Look at verse 11. He goes, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Picture it. Picture this added to what we studied a couple weeks ago. Okay? You've got the throne, and now Jesus is there right by the Father. And now it says, not only is it the 24 elders surrounding the throne, not only is it those four living beings surrounding the throne, but now he says there are 10,000 times 10,000. That's 100 million. He says, now I'm seeing... I'm hearing a hundred million angels all revolving around this one throne. And all of them are singing loudly. Picture that. A hundred million angels as a mighty choir just singing loudly, all worshiping Jesus. And they're singing this song that says, Worthy is the Lamb. They're all worshiping Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. They're all just worshiping Him. What an incredible scene in heaven. You got the picture? In chapter 4, they're all focused on the Father and worshiping Him and saying, Holy, holy, holy. Then in chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, they're all worshiping the Lamb. And now you see 100 million angels all worshiping Jesus. Then in verse 13, to complete the whole picture of heaven, in verse 13 it says, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. You got that? Now it's kind of joining. Okay, you had the worship of the Father, you had the worship of the Son, and now it's like together it says they're worshiping the one on the throne and they're worshiping the Son. Remember the Son, it says he has the seven eyes rep- represent the seven spirits of God. You know, the Holy Spirit is present, and it's like they are just all worshiping. But I I don't want you to miss verse 13, okay? Who is worshiping now? It says, Then I heard every creature, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, every single creature is saying what? To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. They're all worshiping 
It's a fulfillment of, of uh, Philippians 2.11 where it says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hey, do not miss this. You guys, it is not just the four living beings. It is not just the 24 elders. It is not just the 100 million angels. And it is not just the church. It is not just those who believe in God. What does it say? It says every single living creature, whether they're in heaven or on the earth or even under the earth. You guys, make no mistake about it. The way the story ends is in worship, where every single created being worships God. You guys cannot miss that point of Scripture. In the end, everyone Everything created by God will acknowledge Him as Lord, even if they are doing it from a place of punishment. And the truth is this. You have a choice. You can worship God now voluntarily and then worship Him in heaven forever. Or you can worship Him because you're forced to worship Him later at the place of your punishment. Um, guys, this scene here is a picture of this one throne and every single thing in existence revolving around this throne. Do you see it? Can you see it now? A picture of the four living beings, the 24 elders, the 100 million angels, and now everything that's ever been created, all looking to the throne and worshiping. And you guys, to me, it is one of the most beautiful pictures in Scripture and yet at the same time, it is one of the most terrifying because I recognize that there are people who don't believe that there's a God, but one day they will know. There are people today who refuse to worship God, and one day those are the very people that God will force on their knees and make them acknowledge who He is because He is God, He is the Creator, and He deserves that. And uh, these, are, these are hard words for some of you guys to hear um, and it's hard words for me to say, um, but I gotta say it to you. I beg you to worship Him now, while it's your choice. Because you know what, every single person in this room will worship God, and it's a wonderful truth, and yet it is a sad truth at the same time. Every knee will bow, every single one. And so my job now on this earth is to beg people, worship God now voluntarily. Um, make it your choice. That God absolutely loves you. He loves you so much, He sent His Son to die for you. Don't you understand that? That even though I've offended God, He loved me so much, He sent His Son. And His Son was that lamb that was slain. And He paid the penalty for me because He loves me. And now the rest of my life is a response to that and worship to Him. <coughs> You guys, it's not something I say out of arrogance. It's not something that, you know, we're angry at anyone. We're just saying, gosh, we're so concerned that if you don't bow to Jesus Christ today, you will bow to him eventually. Um, yeah, I always get tongue-tied at times like this because I don't even know what to say because I think, okay, if I'm sitting out there and I don't believe in God, what would I want someone to say to me, to warn me of? And I'm just saying this, you know what? If, if you look at this book and you go, I don't believe it. I say to you, have you ever really studied it? Have you really taken the time to research this book? Because I have. 
And I know this is true. There is no way man could have made this up. There's just way too much in it. And I know it to be true, and I know these events are going to take place. There will come a day. It doesn't look like it right now, and it feels like that hopeless feeling, but there will come a day when the Lamb is going to take that throne and take that scroll, I mean, and, and unroll it, and it's the end. And I believe that I know that with all of my heart because I've looked into this book. And if you just leave here casually, well, I don't believe that book, I'm telling you, look into it. Because think about it. What if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? You guys, it's not something you can mess around with and just casually do in your life. If you are wrong about who God is and you refuse to worship him now, that means you will be one of those under the earth who will worship him one day. Except it won't be in a place of joy and bliss as we'll be experiencing in heaven. And, and you guys, it breaks my heart. Um, you got to worship him now. And uh, we're going to sing to him. And I, I know that some of you don't like to sing to God. And uh, you may think it's weird to sing to God. And I'm begging you, sing to him now voluntarily think about that scene in heaven and and maybe you're in here going you know what i'm confused about this whole thing and i want to i want to know more if that's you you know in the in the back of the in the back of the church you know right by the sound booth doug you know pastor doug's gonna be back there to pray with you you know richard and some others will be back there just to to pray with you or whatever but if you have never just acknowledged jesus christ as your lord and savior and i beg you to do that today um, while you have the time and while it's your choice. Because I know this stuff is real. God loves you, and he wants a relationship with you, and you can begin that today. Would you just bow your heads right now? And I want you to picture what we've been studying over the last couple of weeks. Think about God on his throne Picture the throne with lightning and thunder coming from it. Picture a being on there that is just so brilliant. The appearance of diamonds and rubies. Picture 24 elders that are just in white gowns with crowns just laying them before the throne. Picture four living beings surrounding the throne that are just, just these massive uh, beings with, with wings, six wings, with eyes all over their bodies, and they're all just screaming, holy, holy, holy. And picture Jesus right next to that throne as the Lamb. And then millions, a hundred million angels all singing that God on the throne. Picture every single creature that's ever been created all looking to the throne and worshiping. And God, right now, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to join all of them. So keep that vision in your head. You guys, if you feel like bowing, like the elders did and like the angels did, feel free to bow. Feel free to get on your knees. The time, something about lowering ourselves in the presence of someone great that is such a powerful picture in Scripture. You'll know the words to these next few songs. If you feel like bowing your head, closing your eyes, getting on your knees, just get low and worship our God right now, along with the elders, along with the angels.
ask you to stand when we worship, but right now don't stand up. Uh, join as the elders bow low to the God. Let's worship Him.